This is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this show as a free educational resource and you'd like to show your support, you can do so via Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that allows independent creators to get their work out into the world. If you donate as little as $1 a month, that's less than what you'd pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to members-only episodes and other prizes. But prices aside, if you donate, you'll be able to walk away with the satisfaction of knowing that you're directly helping to sustain the output of this show. Every little bit adds up, so if you're so inclined, go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted to find out more. Or just go to my website, wordsforgranted.com, and you can link from there. Today, we're going to change up the format of the show a little bit. Usually, we start with a word in modern English and trace its evolution back in time as far as we can go. In doing so, we inevitably arrive at that word's root. Sometimes that root word is native to English, and other times it has been borrowed into English from a foreign language, such as Latin, Greek, French, or Norse, among others. Instead of starting with a single English word and tracing its evolution backwards, today we'll be starting with a single Latin word and tracing its evolution forward into several different English words. That Latin word is secare, and it means to cut. Now, the actual verb secare never passed into English. In English, the verb meaning to cut is, well, cut. And etymologically, to cut has nothing to do with secare. Nonetheless, several words derived from secare have passed into English. These include words such as section, sector, bisect, dissect, insect, and sex. All of these words share the genetically related Latin root sec, and their meanings are explicitly or implicitly, based on the premise of cutting. We'll look in greater detail at the evolution of each of these words in just a bit, and in doing so, we'll also see exactly how a single root word can produce so many diverse offshoots. But before we do that, I think we should address a very basic question. What is a root word? Now, it's a safe bet that Everyone listening to this show has an idea what a root word is. We talk about root words on literally every episode of Words for Granted. So, what is a root word? Shout out your thoughts. A root word is the older form of a modern word. Okay, good. A root word is where a word comes from. Okay, vague, but I take your meaning. A root word produces other words. So each of these conceptions of the term root word is correct, but we can go into this concept even deeper. Let's take a few minutes to define root word as a linguist would. It's hard to believe that it's taken 29 episodes to have this discussion, but here it goes. 
when you strip away a word's morphological embellishments such as its prefixes, suffixes, and grammatical inflections, what remains is the primary semantic unit of that word, a.k.a. its root. Uh, right. So, this definition contains a bunch of jargon that may have flown over some of your heads, so let's back up so we can catch everyone up to speed. Actually, it's all quite simple. In linguistics, morphology is the study of morphemes, and a morpheme is defined as an indivisible unit of meaning. Consider the word intersection. When we define the word as a whole, intersection means something like a point at which two or more things intersect. But as it turns out, this word contains three morphemes, each of which can be individually defined. The first morpheme is inter. While not exactly a word unto itself, the prefix inter means between or among. It's the same inter that's found in words such as intercom, interstate, international, and so on. The second morpheme is sec. As you may have guessed, given the focus of this episode, the sec in intersection comes from secare, and it literally means to cut. Like inter, the shun, or t-i-o-n, suffix isn't a word unto itself, but English speakers unconsciously recognize it as a word-forming element of nouns. It's the same shun found in vacation, punctuation, and transformation. For the record, a morpheme that only can exist in conjunction with other morphemes that is, a morpheme that can't stand alone as a word unto itself, is called a bound morpheme. Things like prefixes, suffixes, and grammatical inflections are all examples of bound morphemes. Anyway, when we put these three distinct morphemes together, inter, sec, and shun, we form the brand new word intersection, which, based on a literal interpretation of its internal parts, can be defined as a noun where two or more things cut into one another. It's a crude definition, sure, but it sounds like an intersection to me. So there's morphology for you in the teeniest of tiny nutshells. Now, on to semantics. Simply put, semantics is the study of meaning. Whether you think of it in these terms or not, the primary topic of this podcast is semantic change, that is, the change in words' meanings over time. In the word intersection, the most semantically fundamental morpheme is sec, which, as we know, is a Latin root meaning to cut. The prefix inter tells us that two things are cutting into one another, and the suffix shun indicates that the word at hand is a noun, but these are elaborations. Though these bound morphemes are necessary to give us the precise meaning of intersection, their sole function, really, is to elaborate upon the kind of cutting expressed by the root word sec. This linguistic principle of combining morphemes, which, by the way, is inherent to languages all over the world, explains how a single root word can generate so many semantically and grammatically diverse offshoots. 
So now that we know how morphology and semantics relate to root words, with these concepts in mind, let's take a look at secare and its derivatives. Actually, let's start by addressing a misconception that may have just subconsciously formed in some of your minds. Not all words containing the morpheme sec, spelled S-E-C, derive from secare. Consider the words second and secure. Both of these contain the morphemes S-E-C, or sec, but neither comes from secare. They're different secs. The sec in second comes from sequi, a Latin word meaning follow, and the sec in secure comes from the Latin secura, meaning without care. Sometimes, morphemes with identical spellings and pronunciations actually have different meanings and therefore different etymologies. So, before you assume the relationship between seemingly related words, it's best to do your homework first. For example, you might assume that the word sect, as in a small offshoot of a larger religion, is derived from secare. Not only does sect contain the morpheme sec, but semantically, it seems like it could come from secare. A sect cuts itself off from a main group, so there is the connection to cutting. But as it turns out, the sec in sect actually derives from sequi, which, as I just said, means follow. Sect is therefore cognate with the word second. Now, as we discuss the various derivatives of secare, you'll notice that none of them retain the are part of the word. Where did are go? Well, are is a verb ending unique to Latin, not English. It's just a grammatical morpheme whose meaning does not directly translate from language to language. But I digress slightly. On to the actual derivatives of secare. Disregarding part of speech, the most semantically conservative of these English derivatives is probably the word section. We already deconstructed section in our discussion of the word intersection, so I won't do so again here. Similar to, but less common than section, is its cognate sector. In its general usage, sector is synonymous with section. It means an area or portion that is distinct from others. But sector also has a more specialized mathematical meaning, which is the place figure enclosed by two radii of a circle or ellipse and the arc between them. Uh, I had to look that one up. This technical mathematic definition is actually the word's earlier meaning, first attested in the 1560s. As an extension of this mathematical meaning, four centuries later, during World War I, Sector acquired a military sense denoting a circular region whose center was a headquarters. By 1920, this military sense was further generalized to an area on a battlefield. Now, Latin had the word sector as well. By the late Latin period, it had acquired the mathematical sense that passed into English, but during the classical Latin period, the earlier period, it had a notably different meaning. It referred to a person who cuts, or a cutter. If you know a thing or two about Latin, this shouldn't surprise you. The Latin suffix or, and by extension tor, 
is used to create nouns of agency, or in other words, nouns describing people who perform actions denoted by a given root word. For example, the Latin word gladius means sword, and it's the root of the Latin word gladiator, which of course is the root of the English word gladiator. You may be wondering how sector, a word that originally meant cutter, was applied to math. Well, in the first Latin translations of the Greek mathematician Archimedes, the Greek word tomeus was translated as sector. Tomeos comes from the Greek root word tomos, meaning a slice or a piece. The Greek word tomos is also the root of the English word entomology, which means the study of insects. So why the heck am I telling you that? Well, if you recall, I mentioned that the sec in insect is cognate with secare. Hmm... What do insects have to do with cutting, and why do both the Latin and Greek etymologies of insect and entomology, respectively, make this connection? Well, the Greek word for insect is entomon, which literally means that which is cut into pieces. The reason for this etymology is because insects have bodies that are segmented, or cut into pieces. When the biological works of Aristotle were translated from Greek into Latin, the word entomon was calced into Latin as insectum. A calc is basically a loan translation, which is what occurs when the individual components of a word from a donor language are translated verbatim into a recipient language. As we know, the Latin verb meaning to cut is secare. The slightly more elaborate verb, meaning to cut into pieces, is insecare. One of the ways that Latin creates nouns is with the um ending, so the literal word-for-word Latin translation of the Greek word entomon is insectum. Both words literally mean that which has been cut into pieces. By the time insectum passed into English, it was anglicized as insect, and its unlikely etymology was obscured. If you want to learn more about calcs, I did a whole bonus episode on them a while back, so check that out if you're so inclined. I think it's episode 13. Next up on our list of words derived from secare is bisect. There's nothing complicated about this one. The prefix bi is a way of indicating two-ness, so bisect literally means to cut into two. Now, the prefix di is also a way of indicating two-ness, and the word dissect also exists. However, dissect doesn't mean to cut in two, but rather to methodically cut something into pieces, or by a metaphorical extension, to analyze. So what's the story here? Do the words bisect and dissect actually share an identical etymological meaning? The answer, to my surprise, is no. The spelling of dissect is D-I-S-S-E-C-T, not D-I-S-E-C-T. In other words, the prefix of dissect is actually dis, not di, even though our pronunciation of the word doesn't reflect this. Maybe there are parts of the English-speaking world that say dissect, but I'm pretty sure that most regions in America pronounce it as dissect and 
That's the only version of the word I've ever heard. Anyway, the prefix dis has a few different applications in English, but as it's used here in dissect, it means apart. It's the same dis that appears in the words disconnected, dismembered, distance, and many others. So even though the pronunciation of the word dissect has ostensibly changed over time, its meaning has not. It currently means, and always has meant, to cut apart, whether literally, as in dissecting a frog in science class, or figuratively, as in dissecting an argument. The last word derived from secare that I'd like to discuss is sex. Like insect, the word sex has very little to do with cutting at face value. It also is spelled with the letter X, which is an anomaly among all the other derivatives of secare. Etymologists are not 100% certain that sex derives from secare, but it's currently the leading theory, so let me present you with the evidence. First off, I should note that the Latin word sexus is the direct etymological ancestor of the English word sex. That much we know for sure. So our question is really, does sexus derive from secare? Or, to be more specific, sectus, the present participle of sectare. We'll take a look at specifically why sectus in just a second, but first, what did sexus mean? Indeed, sexus meant sex, but it primarily referred to the male-female gender dichotomy, or the sexual organs. The potential connection of sexus to secare via sectus is that the gender dichotomy cuts all living things into two major categories. But how does this account for the very conspicuous X that dates all the way back to the Latin spelling of the word sexus? Well, in some Latin words, there is a noticeable consonant shift from the kt sound to the x sound, and this x sound was represented in writing by the letter x. This sound change usually occurred as a result of different grammatical endings. For example, the Latin noun flexus, ancestor of English words such as flex and inflection, comes from the Latin verb flectere, meaning to bend. Note that the kt sound in flectere becomes the x sound in flexus. If sexus does in fact derive from secare via the participle sectus, this would in fact account for the sound shift represented by the letter x. Given the curious absence of a direct etymological ancestor of the word sexus, I find this etymology quite plausible. Okay, I think here is a good place to wrap things up. Even if you've never opened up a Latin textbook in your life, I hope you found this overview of secare and its derivatives interesting. Secare aside, my greater hope is that you walk away from this episode today with a better understanding of what root words actually are and how they can generate so many diverse derivatives. Now, it's spiel time. Don't forget to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Words for Granted, and I'm on Facebook as Words for Granted. If you want to reach me directly, my email is wordsforgranted at gmail.com. 
If you love the show, please spread the word. And as always, I ask you to rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. Those iTunes ratings and reviews are so, so important to us podcasters because they actually help new people to find out about the show. All right. I'll see you guys next time here at Words for Granted. We'll be starting a new not-so-mini-mini-series, and it's going to be a lot of fun.